what is your experience or non-experience with noise? Because you've seen me perform. Um, and what what would you what would your reference points be for that? I guess. Yeah. So I think the first. Uh, well, no, I don't know. So actually, it probably goes a little bit farther back than uh, clipping is is my like big. Uh, it's it's this rap group, and yeah, I, I'm sure you know clipping, true. but uh, but before clipping. I think even just like conceptually, uh, I don't know if noise artists would consider this to be a noise piece, but honestly, actually, so uh, John Cage 433 is yeah. a noise piece yeah. in, in a manner of speaking that like the music comes from the sounds that are happening in the room. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things about like, when music stops being music and becomes sound and that distinction is a strange line in the sand to put because like all sound is sound Uh, (laughs) and just like, you know, rhythm and pitch and time are things that we associate with music, but are still present in sound and noise and even just the description of noise of just like what like disorganized sound or just like sounds that happen randomly but like there is there's not really like there's no such thing as like random sound like sound is always happening for a reason um but then yeah i think like conceptually that was where like the seeds were sown but then yeah uh i forget what year it was it must have been like 2017 or 2018 that uh metro music fest so acm used to put on this like big festival in in okc uh called metro music fest and they would have a whole bunch of bands that you know is pretty much just like any local bands and mostly like ACM centered bands because like these students have their own bands or whatever it is. But, um, they would also bring in artists from all over the country. And I mean, since it's ACM, like connections to the flaming lips and whoever they might be able to get. So, uh, they had gotten clipping one time and uh i for i apologize listeners for continuing to bring up clipping every five (laughs) seconds but like (laughs) the yeah dovey diggs and uh jonathan uh, william hudson and jonathan snipes uh is this trio of you know rap and harsh noise combination and I had, I had like heard of clipping through, uh, there's a song exploder podcast and they had been on there and like, I, I didn't quite like get it. It didn't quite grab me. And honestly, like the song that they used on song exploder, like, isn't even like the best representation for like how to understand clipping. But, um, 
Yeah. Uh, Clipping was playing at Metro Music Fest and, you know, people know David Diggs as Thomas Jefferson from Hamilton. So, uh, or Lafayette from Hamilton is the same character, but, uh, or the same actor. And so a friend of mine was a fan of Hamilton was like, oh yeah, like the guy who played Jefferson in Hamilton will be here and he has like his own group. And then I like, didn't know he just, was part of that. Yeah. Yeah. But like, and then it just like blew my mind that like, Oh my gosh, this is like so much cool. Just sound that just like punches you in the face and combined with hip hop is like <laughs> such a like transgressive act. Yeah. And, uh, Jarvis has uh, talked to me about it, how like Oklahoma has just like some of the worst audiences, like, <laughs> but like people weren't feeling clipping oh, in really? the room <laughs> and I was just like vibing out. Like, this is so good. But like, I don't know, even just like the common hip hop tropes of just like call and response stuff, like with the audience, like people weren't like really feeling it. And I was just like, man, this is so like, this is such an experience. And, and that kind of really drew me in to, to what you can do with noise. And then, and then even more so once I started uh, my master's in music composition, I, I don't know. I was like exposed to so much music that like melody and harmony and rhythm had become like so tired for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, I get it. Like, I know what's happening here. And like, yeah, there's interesting stuff that like can be done and really advanced things that you can do uh, to an extent. And there's just like extended harmony and jazz and metric modulation and all this sort of stuff that like is specifically in music, but like something that academic music doesn't necessarily focus on enough is just sound and where sound becomes music and where music becomes noise. And that sort of thing is that like, these are no longer pitches, but they're frequencies and the sort of effects that this has on just the physical atmosphere to have things happening in the air that aren't just a right or wrong note based on our 12 tone equal temperament system. Uh, Yeah. Is that like, while I was working on a whole bunch of like academic music during my master's, I kind of like got tired of like tonal music or just like normal music. And then, yeah, like noise is, is so much more of like what can be explored in here. So, yeah, yeah sorry. It was a really long answer to, <laughs> but like, yeah, that's cool. I didn't even know clipping played here. And I might not even have known of them at that time, but at some point heard heard them. So yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with kind of what they do. So um, I think they were kind of cool. I mean, there there's been a few other things like or a lineage maybe of that, but of like maybe introducing people to to that to like bringing in like actual like harsh noise artists to collaborate on their albums and and doing their own uh, thing with it. Um, and being on sub pop, I think everything's come out on sub pop. So, um, to probably, you know, exposing people to that and, uh, 
and whether they're into rock and rock on sub pop and they hear it or they're into hip hop and they you know, listen because it's a hip hop group. Um, yeah, I think they're kind of important in that way and seem like they've been really well received by a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and it's also interesting that they always get compared to death grips. Oh yeah. Uh, but it like death grips is in some ways, like kind of anti clipping, like clipping is so intentional with like everything that they do. And like, it's never just like noise for noise sake or like this thing for this sake. Like it's, they're always super like, Oh, this is a reference to this, which is like a greater discussion about this other thing. And like there's science fiction and literature and like black culture and like all the sort of stuff that like feeds into the thing that is clipping. Whereas like death grapes is almost like the antithesis of, which is like, yeah, there's a lot to like grasp in death grips, but like not in the same kind of like conceptual way. Death grapes is like in your face, just kind of pure intuition of just like what sounds and things are happening in sort of a, professionally like disorganized way <laughs> yeah 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 I, I, I haven't listened to much of clipping but I, you know and death grips too i've listened to some of that i've seen them live mm-hmm. um but yeah it's definitely cool to see that um and uh like i said it probably comes from a lineage of you know going back to I guess maybe in early hip hop things where it's very raw and direct, but uh, definitely through the lens for me of like public enemy and mm-hmm. what they did with like, you know, just these kind of overloaded kind of collage things. Um, and that was one thing that I always, when I was younger, I was always like, okay, I want to hear like the most extreme who which band plays the fastest or right. which band plays the slowest but then it, it also transferred into hip hop of like who raps the fastest mm-hmm. you know or who has the weirdest music or who says the weirdest things you know so it was always like looking for those extremes of of who's pushing things yeah. you know to to other levels so that led me down a lot of paths of you know going into abstract you know, people rhyming abstractly or maybe not even rhyming at all, you know, not even trying to flow to the beat, but, you know, maybe more like a, a direct expression that yeah. it, it just kind of like flowed over the music in its own way. Um, but I feel like, you know, it, it was cool to see Death Grips and, and Clipping and whoever else comes along after that, that is is kind of feeding off of those things where those worlds kind of start to meet like that. Um and there's other people, I guess, doing similar things. And it may not be hip hop uh, to hear people when they do like, you know, maybe like dance hall music mixed with like noise or, or, or really aggressive kind of music, you know, where those worlds kind of meet it is always interesting to me yeah. to see that. I mean, hyper pop is, is really doing that thing really well where it is like, yeah, here's the the like bubblegum pop kind of thing. But like, what if we just kept turning up the aspects of it all the way? And then it just becomes this like super auto-tuned, super distorted, super fast. And it's like, 
it is pop, but like in such a mangled way that like, so, I mean, it, I, I really appreciate that, you know, artists like Charlie XCX are, are sort of bringing the future of sound into like what other people can experience of, of not just like, Oh yeah, here's like a, a fun dancey pop number, but like, here's actually like, crazy distorted sounds or, or yeah. you know, really unconventional ways of, of composition that, uh, yeah, I, I hope that more people have explored like noise and, and other stuff like that through someone like Charlie XCX, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think that's the cool thing is like, you know, um, and it's always one of those things where there's always somebody saying like, Oh, you know, there's nothing new happening in music and um it's like i mean that's it's not true because you know there's always going to be people that are going to mash two things together that shouldn't go together or take something and totally distort it uh, you know whether you know it's a style or you know a, a way of making songs or whatever you know there's always um those extremes of like what do i you know what happens if i take this and just stretch it or slow it down, you know, these, these forms. Um, so I think there's always, there's still places to go and things to be done with, um, a lot of different types of sound and music, uh, places you can take it. Yeah. Sure. And it's also like, not just the, like smashing two things together, but also like getting to something that already exists through a different route. And so it's like, Oh, what is, you know, like danceable, danceable shred, for example, is, is something that, um, an artist I'm really fond of, uh, Ben Levin had, had thought about for a while. He's, he's a guitarist primarily. Um, and he's like, what is danceable shred? And it's like, yeah, that's, that's disco and funk. Like you, you sort of like tried searching for a thing where it's like, oh yeah, like I know all this like super fast guitar stuff, but I like now I just want to dance. And it's like, yeah, you like found a backwards way into like disco and funk that like, you know, existed and came about through its own way, not necessarily through that pursuit, yeah. but like those, that is how you get those sounds. <laughs> um, what, I guess who are your uh like introductions into noise and and um I would say probably the first thing that I I mean of course uh listening to like uh Napalm Death um when I was like a you know, 13 or 14, whatever, like hearing like grindcore kind of bands, death metal things. I mean, there's always that element of like noise and distortion within that music or they're playing so fast that it's just a blur of sound. Um, but, you know, I think coming from that uh, bands that just let they kept like the raw unpolished thing of we're not trying to make this sound professional we're going to leave in all the feedback in between each song, you know, and um, if the song crashes or turns into just a, a extended, like, you know, feedback session, then that's what it is. Um, so I think through that stuff, through metal, um, 
those extreme forms of metal at that time when I was a kid in the nineties, um, bands like, uh, I hate God who were doing like super slow things, but with feedback, uh, but, and specifically through, uh, Mike Williams, the singer for I hate God, he wrote, he had a, a column in a magazine called metal maniacs. <clears throat> and that was right about the time, I guess, when, uh, like Merzbow was kind of first being introduced in, in that metal world. Cause he had had, uh, an album come out on uh, the label relapse, which was kind of the big underground metal label at that time. So like, you know, seeing those, um, advertisements for Merzbow and being like, man, what is this? You know, they're, they're saying this is like the most extreme form of music, you know? So, but it was always in the, in the reference of the metal framework of like, this is like all feedback and yeah. it's just like harsh, um, which it was. Yeah. It's but, so um, metal. You don't even need guitars. Anymore. Yeah. It is, yeah. <laughs> And, but there was a, and, and so that was part of it. But then there was like a, this guy, Mike Williams had a uh, column in that magazine, Metal Maniacs, and they kind of covered extreme metal, but they also covered like shoegaze bands. So the the magazine itself was kind of uh, stood out because it was, um, it was uh, the, several of the writers were women and the editor was a woman, which for that time in like a lot of rock journalism in oh. general, I don't, don't think it was a big thing, but this was a magazine that I could find in Oklahoma that had articles about, you know, all of these extreme metal bands, bands from Europe. And like I said, they covered uh, um, almost kind of pop things sometimes and uh, maybe even touching on dance music here and there but they had an, uh, a column that was all about like underground um grindcore uh seven inch uh you know crust noise uh experimental things so they just kind of talked about whatever so in that uh you know column he would talk about things like masana <clears throat> or um there's another artist uh kk null uh, and these are all, those were all Japanese, uh, artists, mm -hmm. but, you know, they would talk about other, other, uh, things going on, maybe industrial, uh, noise things. Um, but all of that for me was part of that, like, oh, here's all this other stuff to like now search for. And it sounds extreme. Let me see what it's about. Um, so started kind of collecting what I could at that time, but, um, so that's kind of probably the introduction right there. Um, another thing at that time that probably was a big influence on that was, um, uh, I don't know if you know, John Zorn, uh, the sax the player, he's from New York. Um, and he maybe started out in the early eighties, um, playing in New York city with just different jazz musicians, but kind of always maybe on the free jazz side, but, um, also doing like uh, composition things too in that world. But um, he started at some point got into like, like grindcore bands as an extension of like the free jazz, like where it's like this crazy, like just uh, playing so fast that things start to fall apart or disintegrate. Yeah. You know, you like, lose, you lose. You something. back your way into a different genre yeah. by like combining something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he he kind of fed into that, but he had a, a group called uh, Painkiller, which was him. He was playing saxophone. 
um, he had the drummer from Napalm Death, uh, who, and then they did kind of like a free jazz kind of like noise thing. And then he had a bass player, Bill Laswell, who was a, also a New York guy that was, um, into like, uh, a lot of like producing a lot of like dub and reggae mm. and funk things, but also doing these kind of, uh, groups that were m like these m mutated combinations of all these, you know, different genres, but bringing, bringing back like older players, like, uh, Bootsy Collins wow. with like a metal person or something yeah. like that. So it was like these people that, it was just like this mashup of things into this uh, weird new style that was, you know, screechy and fast, but other times it could be very like bass heavy. It had like a lot of bass. That's, so that project really was a huge influence. Uh, what was that project called? Uh, Painkiller was okay. the name of uh, it. Yeah. It's really interesting how like you get the, extremes of each instrument right and like you can like pick an instrument and find the most extreme version of that and like that becomes the genre right so it's like on guitar like metal is like the fastest most advanced thing that you can do yeah. uh but on saxophone it's like free jazz is the fastest most advanced thing that you could do or like you know hard bop or something yeah, like that yeah, yeah. and then on bass like funk is like the fastest like hardest thing you could do on bass and so like it's so interesting that like on each of these like you get all these people that are like the best uh, of their thing but it's because like the genres that arise from like the most challenging thing to do on those specific instruments. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so like you wouldn't get that kind of thing from a saxophone player who's trying to play in like a classical style yeah, because yeah. it's like, it only gets so extreme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was a big influence. And I think it was, um, it was in the middle of all the noise things too, but it also sent me down the path of like, it led me to free jazz. Cause I had really never really listened to uh, much jazz up till that point. Um, and you know, free jazz, like you were saying, it, it, it starts to border on noise sometimes mm -hmm. and, but it could be the opposite. It could be very mellow, but free, you know, not, the structure can be very loose and experimental. Um, but you know, it led me to those other places to to appreciate jazz eventually, or more straight ahead jazz. To be like, okay, yeah, I kind of start to get this now. But it's kind of weird because I came about it from the backside. I yeah, did yeah. same thing. I didn't start listening to, you know, kind of blue or you know yeah. any of those things first. I worked my way back almost in a way because yeah. from there, eventually, hearing. um then you started to be, people would talk about, well, what's, you know, there's this crazy free jazz uh, record that John Coltrane does. And then you hear that and you're like, yeah, man, that's, you know, that's crazy. Uh, it's the shit. But then, you know, then you move back from there and you see what he was doing. And, you know, you're like, wow, he was, um, you know, if you move on back to the fifties or whatever, and you're like, Oh, this is, this is the jazz that you kind of made fun of at some point or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but then you're like, you appreciate it. And, but that's kind of how I came back to that stuff, I guess, through, through that thing. But, um, yeah, that, that nineties period of just trying to hear every recording I could. Um, I had a, a good friend I grew up with that, 
you know, he ended up getting into uh, extreme metal also. So we, we started like collecting things at that time where I would buy things that he didn't have and he would buy things I didn't have. So we had like this like, you know, collection between us where we would record tapes of different things and introduce each other to different music. And, um, but kind of those kind of, uh, um, friendships or, or, or people I knew where we shared music was pretty important, you know, for, for me to be exposed to different things that I might not have bought, you know, on my own or been exposed to on my own, um, to lead down those different paths. But, um, yeah, I just went from there. I mean, I, I, I would go through times where I would, you know, buy a lot of noise related things and really listen to a lot of noise and then kind of burn myself out yeah. and then be like, okay, I'm going to go back to now I'm listening to a lot of hip hop, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. And, that, you know, it was just kind of moving back and forth between things. Um, it is so. something that like with kind of those extreme genres that like is anger necessary <laughs> For like these kinds of things, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, like it seems like this just extreme outpouring of emotion that you know a lot of times can be yeah. anger or or just like sadness or whatever it is. But yeah, like yeah. I don't I don't know what like happy noise music <laughs> sounds like, you know? Or yeah. or if there's like a way of describing that, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think um, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's kind of. I think when you get to know people that do it, you know, you see people um, and it can be, I guess, have that cathartic kind of side to it um, where, where you're pouring out in a, a, an experience or an emotion into it. And that becomes kind of the, the push to push it over the edge. Um, There's some other people that just enjoy that. Like, when you go to a show that is so loud that it's just that wall of sound, like being into the pure sound of it. Um, there are people that are in, they do noise in a very fun way, you know, where it's like um, the one person I guess I can think of is um, uh, Jonathan Cash, who I got, he was one of the first people I saw maybe, uh, I went to a noise festival in Texas and, you know, just kind of like it is really harsh noise, but it's kind of like he's he'll throw some just absurd like uh, sample in there. And, and the, I think one of the he played in Tulsa and did a cover of uh, the Cranberries or something in the middle of the noise set. So it's like it's it, it, it has like a goofy kind of fun thing to it where it's not taking itself serious at all, you know. Um, but I know that's part of it where it's like, there are the people that they're, you know, singing about something very, (laughs) you know, uh, messed up or whatever it is, you know, heavy subject matter. And, um, you know, that's a big part of it too. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I feel like, you know, extreme music in general, always, uh, those emotions are feed into that really easily, Mm -hmm. you know? And maybe if you are trying to express that, that's, where that goes to is um that anger but it also yeah i said i think it's there's can be like sadness there can be other emotions in there too um and the anger may not be what you think of like oh i'm just mad at 
you know, this or that. It could be very focused uh, anger of like, you know, um, uh, bands that are political, you know, whether it's punk rock bands or, you know, grindcore things where they take a political stance. So I feel like that is a, to me, that personally, it starts to be more kind of genuine, like, the feeling behind it, you're like, yeah, I mean, I know they're, they're really talking about something they believe in, you know, when you know that they truly believe in what they're writing or what their concept is. Um, there's that side, but, uh, I think the same thing with noise. Sometimes it's just like pure, you know, maybe it is anger, but it's just like release. It's not really at anything in particular other than maybe the world, you know? Right. <laughs> um, and it is interesting how, you know, in, in any sphere, whatever, there's like a hyper sort of like intellectualized or like, you know, people get really uptight about like, oh, no, things like have to be this way or like, oh, they're doing it wrong or like they're a hack or whatever, like all that sort of stuff. I feel like, you know, in any genre whatsoever, like there are people that are like, oh, like you listen to like, oh, well, Mersbau's like baby harsh noise, you know, like whatever it is, is like, yeah, well, of course you would be into that. But it's like, yeah. I don't know, like especially in extreme genres that like that tribalism becomes so extreme as well that I don't know, like (laughs) being the type of person that like gets into these kinds of communities anyways, like we know what like it feels like to be excluded. And so we tend to become gatekeepers of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. It it happens. Uh, and yeah, you, you kind of think of that, especially there, I feel like maybe people are more protective of what they're doing or like you said, maybe they over intellectualize it. (laughs) Um, I think the cool thing is when you, you, when you do kind of realize that, um, there are a, a lot of people though, that are like, like you said, they're, they're coming from always being an outsider. And when they find that, um, it, it becomes its own community and, uh, you kind of realize, uh, that, um, from what I've seen, you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, you always do have the gatekeepers or, or people that, um, maybe they don't even fit into that scene or they're, or they're just so maybe extreme in their beliefs that, they kind of get pushed out. But um, I feel like overall, I mean, it's like, it's something that uh, makes people happy to be in those places and to be able to do it. Um, Like at the Tulsa Noise Fest uh, or even the the Noise Fest I went to in um, down in Texas. Um, It was a fun time. You know, people had fun and, and, and you just saw a lot of like laughing, joking, whatever, people talking about music and, um, partying, you know, so it was kind of like, uh, I, I think to me when I entered that realm, because before that I had only seen like, you know, smaller noise shows, mm-hmm. experimental shows. I hadn't really been around it, but, um, to be in that where there's actually like a community of people and it's like a, it's like a two day community that all comes together uh, and most of it's people that know each other online mm-hmm. mainly, and you kind of know people, but then you meet them in real life. 
and um you know everybody had a good time and it was fun and it wasn't uh, it wasn't really any like posturing or um maybe some of the things you see at like a a hardcore punk show maybe where it's kind of more like attitude yeah in in a lot more ways but this was kind of more like I just kind of saw it as more like open and accepting because it was like, you could come in there and do whatever you wanted yeah. in that space. And it may not even be that noisy. Maybe you came in and did some just a weird, you know, experimental thing with like non harsh sounds. And, um, you kind of just wouldn't fit into the flow of, of what was going on. And, um, everybody kind of was very good about giving feedback, you know, letting you know they liked what you did, you know, asking you questions. Um, but I also feel like it was kind of a lot of times that world has that crossover with, um, and maybe a lot of music does, but maybe that one specifically with like more like visual artists or mm -hmm. people coming from, um, they might work in a lot of other uh, places like that. So maybe a little more openness to, uh, to, people and ideas you know in a lot of ways so yeah and it's it is a lot about just like open experimentation open creation and that like uh i was talking to nicole pool about this that like in kind of rigid academic musical spaces like there are so many standards that are expectations that everyone like tries to adhere to and like what is a, a good sound what is a good singer what is a good guitarist what is a good whatever yeah. um and so it's like there's so many expectations of what you should sound like and what in tune means and what you know in time means and yeah. whereas in noise it is just like what sounds are you making at, at a very just like front-facing level like yeah. what is it doing to you yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you know there i i imagine there are like noise standards per se but like at the same time it's like we're all just kind of enjoying sound as yeah. it is <laughs> yeah 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 and like i said it's it, it you know if you go to something like um depending on the noise fest i mean you know sometimes you might find some that are all very maybe specific style of that they're curating and bringing in um Tulsa Noise Fest was very open like I said where there were like people that were up there having fun people that were very serious you know maybe confrontational or talking about very personal things that had happened to them um there was a, a performer called Ritual Chair and uh she does uh, these uh, very confrontational noise pieces about um, uh, subjects like uh, sexual assault and like, you know, very intense, but it, it, you know, it's like, you can't like, it's, if you're in that room with, with her, you, you know, you definitely feel it and it brings up different emotions. And um, that was a cool thing about the festival that it was very, you know, to me, it was like, diverse enough to where I was like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different people here of, you know, 
different, uh, you know, genders, non-genders, whatever, you know, I felt like it was like very diverse in that way. And, um, you know, uh, people of different backgrounds, you know, people of color to where I, you know, I was like, you know, it was cool to see that, that aspect of it too. But with that performance, you know, her kind of, uh, speaking to like, uh, mostly large group of men, but mm-hmm. seeing those men like react in a way where they were kind of like, you know, how, how am I complicit in what she's talking about? Mm-hmm. You know? So that was kind of cool to have some things that were really heavy subject matter, um, some things that were just pure experimental, um, sets, um, you had, uh, all different ages of people. There were bands that played, um, uh, locals, people that had come from, you know, California, uh, New York, uh, there were people from all over the place. So, um, it was really cool to see that, I think, uh, and that kind of like, being part of those those two noise fests in Tulsa and then uh, the one I went to in Texas um, kind of sparked me back into it because I feel like I said, I mean, I've always been into noise and I've different times I've just kind of like not paid attention to what was going on around, you know. Um, there's some people I've always just kind of followed throughout the years, but um, never really knew the scenes. But uh, to see that, uh, you know, over the last, few years what it's been like at least here in uh the americas um but also like seeing things in other parts of the world like uh, indonesia you know through instagram mainly you know through those social media things to be able to see that too is cool to be like oh yeah there's all this other there's this whole world going on over there that's you know maybe similar in a way where it's like it, it was influenced by those bigger noise artists and now it's it's kind of like became its own thing, you know, that um, feeds itself and, and gives space to people to do things. Yeah. I mean, speaking of spaces, the, the other hard part about noise is that it like, it's, it is really difficult to find spaces for it to happen. And I mean, especially in, in places where uh, I mean, here in Oklahoma, like there's a music scene And we are sort of internally like really supportive of each other, but like it's, it's harder to kind of like break it out of just ourselves and then even harder for experimental music to find a place and, and, you know, just being able to do the things that we do and express ourselves in, in all the diverse ways that we do, but like, you know, the bars still have to sell beer (laughs) and like what kind of space you're creating for people with, you know, a rock cover band versus a, you know, 20 minute harsh noise set is, is very different. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, but it's, you know, it's kind of been cool to see. um, And I know it always ebbs and flows, but um uh, there are, you know, some spaces that are very, and they always have been kind of supportive or different. Like I said, they are always popping up maybe houses that have shows or, um, like right now the sanctuary yeah, or, um, oscillator in Norman, we've had a couple of shows there and they used to be involved with the dope chapel, which at one point that was, uh, an experimental spot in Norman. Um, 
Yeah, and it's kind of been cool because uh, the Tulsa Noise thing was done through the Tulsa Artist Fellowship. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of done in a, a space that was, it was like a um, a studio yeah. space, basically. It wasn't like a bar. That was maybe the other thing about it, is that it wasn't a traditional venue. Mm-hmm. And it was um, it was funded, so it was totally free mm-hmm. for people to go to. So anybody could walk up there if they wanted to come check it out. Um, so it was kind of cool to have it in those kind of spaces, too. Um, and I think through my connections of um, my cousin Nathan um, and other people I know in, that kind of work in the art world, um, to kind of cross over into that, into that and be able to do some stuff in, um, some of the art spaces, uh, here and up in Tulsa has been, it's, it's been good to do that too and have that, um, support. So there is, I mean, you know, it's kind of like there is, there are some spaces coming around and whereas maybe 15 years ago i don't know if i would have sure thought that it was there but it probably was in some form mm-hmm. but um you know for me i've i've had some good opportunities to just put my stuff out there and that's been really cool to to have that uh that there so yeah at the same time it's also like as far as i know a less saturated market i mean less people are trying to make harsh noise than people are trying to make rock music and so uh you know you can uh pun intended you can throw a rock and hit a guitarist but like far less so can you yeah. find a a noise artist or someone that does experimental type music or that yeah. that is maybe willing to perform it right because yeah. because that's yeah. that's another part and, yeah, and with the ability to make whatever kind of stuff we want to in the safety of our own homes or our own headphones, even, uh, you know, there, there isn't as much like need to perform it necessarily because we can just like do the stuff ourselves and just like share it online. And, and this kind of different space, different community that doesn't necessarily have to happen in like a physical space, but people can share music with each other that, uh, yeah, exists in, I mean, there, there's lots of ways in which even a lot of music that I make isn't able to be performed because like just using the computer in such a way or using recordings in such a way that like, this can only be just like press play on the recording. Cause that's the only way you're going to experience it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. That's, that's changed a lot of things. Um, yeah. Performing is, uh, I guess, I, you know, when I started doing it, I, I was just kind of thrown into it and, uh, had never really done any performance art per se, or mm-hmm. been in front of people like that. Um, I think it was something I had to like, I mean, I overcame it pretty fast, but maybe, you know, back 20 years before that wasn't, would I have been able to do it the same, you know, maybe I might, I might have been too self-conscious to do it. Um, I pretty, and then, so I was pushed into it, but I immediately like dove into it and I was just like, okay, you know, I'm going to, you know, start thinking about what do I do to make 
you know, what I do interesting to watch or, or bringing in visual aspects to, to make it have a meaning to it or to make it have a uh, performative, maybe not performative, but a performance side to it that um, it conveys something, but it also is engaging with people and they can, you know, they take something from it. Um, So that's kind of been cool to get the feedback of what, when they, people watch me and what maybe they come tell me about what, what it meant to them, I guess, or what they got out of it. It's always been very different things. Um, I think one of the other things is like noise when you see it live and you can see it where it's just like so loud that it, it becomes like a physical thing. It's then going and listening to a CD or, you know, or an sure. MP3 of it isn't going to like it doesn't hit the same. You have to take those two things separately at that point. Not that that's not good, but um, or that you can't play that through the same system. But mm-hmm. to see it live is something something else, which like a lot of music is, too. But I definitely feel like once you do that with noise, you're kind of like, wow, whoa, that was uh and maybe it makes more sense that way too. I don't know. As like a something that just kind of clears everything out of your mind or something, you know, it just is hitting you so hard that you can't focus on anything outside of that space or that moment. Um, and like, and I've kind of had those experiences too. And maybe with other music too, when I've heard things live and I was like, Whoa, this is, you know, intense. Um, but, you know, there was one performance where uh, a friend was there and she um, hadn't, you know, had no reference to what it was. And I and I played and I was actually playing a 51st Street speakeasy oh. at the time. <laughs> and uh, it was part of an art show. And uh, I did a set and we just like turned, you know, the PA up all the way. So it was like super loud and it was just a very cheap PA. But um, <laughs> but the room was small. Yeah. And it was like, you know, the the bartender was trying to come tell me to turn it down in the middle of the set. But um, when I was over, you know, I kind of wondered what she thought about it because I knew she didn't have any, you know, maybe wasn't like a, a music fan of any kind of like extreme thing at all. And uh, she was just like, she was like, well, that, you know, I feel like my 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 chakra has been realigned or whatever from that. And it was like, you know, it was like a cleansing or whatever. And uh, I was like, I was like, wow, that's, you know, it was kind of a trip to hear that, that, you know, somebody say that about it. But I feel like it can be if you just kind of it can be something that you just like give over to, you know, in a way you let it, you know, take over your ears and your mind and and, <laughs> and not really. Um, it becomes non it's just about sound at that point. It yeah, becomes yeah. no subject matter, or, you know, nothing else going on kind of matters at that point. Well, it's, it's interesting that like, because you come from more of the art side rather than like the music side that like the experience is crucial, right? Like you cannot consume a sculpture through a photo of it. Like, <laughs> you, like, yeah, you're experiencing it in some sort of way, but it's like filtered through like two other mediums that <laughs> yeah. like make it not what the thing is. Yeah. And so 
like when you build an art installation, for example, like you are considering just like what is someone going to be feeling as they enter into this space physically as opposed to like you know is someone going to be listening to this on headphones or in their car or literally in person from a pa uh and and those sorts of things and like the way that it is consumed changes the art and so like there are lots of ways in which noise has to be experienced and and (laughs) that like sure yeah i'll we'll have another piece of yours at the end of this one as well but like there is something about like sure if you are listening to this on just like headphones (laughs) that that is an experience and it is a separate experience if you get in your car and like turn the volume up all the way and and that is you know something else like do you feel like uh do you feel like that's a necessary part of the experience to like understand the art Uh, at least for for yours for your art yeah yeah i mean i feel like it is i i haven't really even focused on recording as much because i'm always like focused on um performances that are coming up and like what am I gonna do um <clears throat> planning for that or preparing sounds for that because uh, to me I mean yeah the recording recording is one thing but I, I don't think that the performance like trends you know definitely like setting up in my garage to record isn't the same as like okay I'm going into this space and uh, I have a set of objects and I know once I start playing that I'm going to be so focused on what I'm doing that I kind of get lost in it. Whereas if I'm recording in my garage, I'll probably be more self-conscious of like, how does this sound or how is this flowing or whatever. Whereas in the live setting, I mean, I, I go, you know, I have done various levels of, uh, preparation in like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna use this first and then you know kind of thinking that way like i'm gonna blend these things and then you know just a plan in a way and but the time is never sometimes i've done time and and in the live uh i've played a live duo with uh my friend uh mateo galindo uh we've a collaborator um, when we played together as a unit, we did say like, let's make this X amount of time long. And then we just came up with a plan of like, but we're going to do it in this amount of time. But that's about the only time I've ever really worked with a specific time frame. Um, I think it's another experiment for me to be like, okay, how do I uh, conceptualize time as I'm playing? Cause I can't ever tell. I mean, sometimes I can say, yeah, that was around this amount of time, but sometimes I think that and it's not even, you know, it might be off by like five minutes. Sure. Um, so it's kind of been a thing, a learning process of like, how do I learn to time things or to tell how long I've been playing <laughs> or, or is this getting boring? You know, I don't know. Just those questions to myself uh, with what I'm doing. But uh, a lot of times I'll go out with a set goal or or plan of like, 
I want to do these specific things to lead to the end. So I'm going to at least make sure I do those things. And then however I, you know, however long that takes, or maybe it kind of changes a little bit as it goes, but to definitely get those things done um, has kind of been the base of what I do. Eventually, that's kind of what it became was yeah. like having a, a plan at least of, mm-hmm. of what it is. You know, I, I there have been a couple of times where I'm like, oh, this is just I, I'm going to bring some gear and set it up. I'm not even going to think about it, like going into it that way of like this is like kind of the true harsh noise set where there's no intention. There's no plan. It's the, and I'm just going to do the kind of like automatic um actions and and changes like i'm not really going to think about what it is you know try to like take myself out of the equation even though i am still in charge of it you know mm-hmm. maybe that that approach where it is like truly um just noise you know there's nothing no intent behind it at all so well, I mean, yeah, but there always is intent, no matter yeah. what you say, you know, you can say that, but it's still that you, you're, you're intentionally going to that place to do it and to be what it is, you know, it, it's, it's its own thing. So that's the intent, I guess, with it. Yeah. And, and I think about just, yeah, the, the definition I have for music is sound with intent. Right. And so like you are doing something like effectively in a way. And, and this is how like uh, one question I normally discuss with musicians is like, is there such a thing as bad music? Um, and for me personally, it's like, it's not even so much a thing about like, you know, objectively good or bad music, but more so about like how well, are you communicating your intent, right? Like music is communication and we're trying to say something through this endeavor. And so if you are trying to say something and your audience gets something like way off, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's like, what does that say about your endeavor that you were trying to say something and it wasn't communicated even in the slightest. And so, yeah, to, to have a piece where it's like, if you have video going in the background and like, there are certain items that you're using in, in the performance, like in some ways it's not even so much about like the sounds themselves, but like what is literally going on here and what is like physically being communicated here is like, as much a part of the performance as the sounds that are happening there. And, and if you you just hear a recording, you're not getting a huge part of the intent. (laughs) And that was the show you were at, right? With the the bird video in the back. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, hearing a recording and it may, the recording may be really good as a piece. You may be like, wow, this is cool. But at the same time, you may, it may not be as in, it wouldn't be as interesting, I guess I should say, as being there to see it and what's going on and, and all the different aspects to it for sure. You know, but that in the video thing is like, a you know, I've done, that's like the second time I've had a video mm-hmm. uh, projection uh, to play behind me. 
Um, so that's something else to uh, work on, work into it too, is like yeah. a visual thing in that way, you know, something else in the space and um, maybe uh, I guess relating in a way there's a lot of times it's like, there's different um, things kind of interweaving in the uh, um, subject matter of that because, you know, I was using these, uh, the piece you saw was the, it had the birds mm -hmm. and, um, I was doing a piece about, there was some elements of, uh, pop music. I had this pop music sample in there also. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, so it was, there was different elements that was left over from a previous piece that didn't work well. So I like carried it on into that one. <laughs> um, there were the bells, mm -hmm. um, a very specific, you know, a Pawnee, uh, like a dance instrument type mm -hmm. of reference. But kind of taking out of that context, you know, it's not trying to be that, but um, as as a pure sound source. And um and then the 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 video of the birds was a reference to another piece too, where I had taken some samples of uh, some cliff swallows and used them in something. So I guess in a way it was sampling too. It was finding a video of that and and uh, kind of changing it a little bit and using that as a to play in the background. Um, so there's kind of like these, the, there's a lot of that I feel like that happens with what I do where, uh, like I said, there's different uh, concepts or subject matters that kind of can come back up and kind of interweave back into the different pieces in a way. Some of them may be very specific, but um, I think there's always kind of a crossover, like things are always kind of blending between sets and between pieces um, like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the other part is just like the endeavor of making it like uh, in specifically that one, like <laughs> it's a funny thing, but like there was a cable that was like pulling and like something was getting really close to the edge of the table, like uh. often. And it was like, that was actually part of the experience of like, is this thing going to fall? And does he want it to? Yeah, maybe right, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> and then you know how you had the the box with like the metal in it, and you were like pulling it, oh, yeah, um, yeah. and it like when it gets stuck on like another cable, it's like yeah. we're in this with you. We're trying to like, <laughs> yeah, watch this thing happen. happen. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's definitely part of it. I feel like trying to come up with like. Um, like I said, like, I, I want to do these specific things and, you know, they may happen exactly like I wanted or I'm conceptualizing it, but they may not. I may have a problem, but you kind of got to then it's like improvisation. Like, OK, how do I fix this in the middle of playing or how does it change something? Yeah, um, that kind of reminded me a set that me and uh, Mateo did in Tulsa. Um, he made these uh, he took these uh, like milk jug milk jugs basically and uh filled them with water and then took the jug off so they were ice but they were in the shape of like milk jugs mm. but also putting like uh, different colors in them and then um putting light behind them 
And then we also had contact mics inside of them. Mm-hmm. So we used them as an instrument as we played. And we played for about 30 minutes. And it was this was um a month or two back. And uh well no, that was back in May. So it was warming up. So it was warm in the space. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really paying attention, but I guess as we were playing, you know, the uh the ice started to melt. Yeah. So there was this river of like melted like color slowly working its way out through the audience and I, I didn't even notice it till after we were done you know somebody came out and said you know they were like you know man that was cool you know and then like the water thing it was like we were all having to move because it was slowly starting to come out into the crowd as y'all were playing and and you know it wasn't it wasn't intentional at all but it was like a really cool part of the piece that was just kind of like happened on its own um and and became part of it where the crowd kind of had to all part because they didn't know what it was they you know they just saw this like colored liquid <laughs> coming out towards them so well, yeah this, i think that's the thing is like you like i said you know you never know what people uh how they're going to respond or how they see and interpret what you're doing and then coming and telling you after like maybe it made them think of something or you know, yeah, or they well, felt yeah. some they felt some emotion or something, you know, and that's cool to to have that feedback. Well, even sometimes like the like symbols S Y M B O L that you use during a performance can actually kind of reinforce themselves simply by the way that they are, and so it's like if you're trying to say something by using water in your piece, right? But like something happens that like, oh, it melted and it like (laughs) imposed itself as the simply the way that it is, which is water. And it's like you're saying even something more just by letting it be exactly what it is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And um, so that's kind of like, you know, I I feel like that's uh, definitely the art side of it is um, using items that um taking them out of their normal context and putting them into a different context uh using them as a sound source that's you know and that's really the heart of it is like that's mm-hmm. the main thing a lot of times is i'm wanting to use it as a sound source you know i could go get a random piece of metal but i'm going to take this one that's very specific um i've been using metal from uh I've been using, I mean, a lot of things are all referencing Pawnee. And I I, I went to uh, an old family home that was built in like the, the 1890s and has, you know, pretty much it's all collapsed now, but it has like old rusted scrap metal pieces all in there. And I've taken some of those. So to any normal per- person, they may say like, oh, he's got the normal harsh noise trope of this like you know twisted piece of metal but it to me it's like it's very specific and it is part of the research because i've been researching that house to try to find that history of what it what you know when did my family who built that house you know what's the history of it and i did find some stuff out about it um so to me it's like it's part of something usually if i have an item i'm using you know it's going to have some and, it, and that's just one thing, but it may have a family history or it may have a tribally specific thing. Um, 
or maybe something bigger than that, you know, or a sample, maybe like just using a pop sample mm. uh, of something that <clears throat> at work is always playing on the radio and it became part of my everyday, mm-hmm. you know, life, something I normally wouldn't listen to, but it, it turned into like one of my favorite songs over the summer. And so I was like, well, I'm going to sample that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put that in this piece and, and see what it, what it is or where it takes it, you know? Um, so I think that's part of it is like a lot of that is bringing things from life into it. And maybe that makes it maybe a little more relatable to people. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess that it goes to show that like, yeah, you don't, you don't have to necessarily like spend years learning how to play an instrument. If like you have a specific intent with like what you're doing and, and, if it's significant to you, then like that is part of the art yeah. of it. And so it, you don't have to study how to play the sheet metal like because it, it's not a real instrument. And it's like specifically this particular item is not an instrument that you can learn or be trained on, but like to utilize it in a thing is, is, a whole other experience yeah and i mean you know things like that you that you maybe use over you you learn a way to actually play it in its own way yeah yeah. and you know sometimes you may only use something once but when it's something that you've done several times you you figure something out about it uh how to control it you know how to make it make the sound you want um but i think that's to me that's kind of like where it, it continues on like researching um different instruments to kind of go in the directions of other things i want to do um you know other types of music i may try to work in i mean i've done some things that were very uh just straight ahead like uh techno Mm -hmm. uh four four kind of beats in in the music but kind of like learning that side of it you know coming from that side i mean and the future is always wide open i'm always like thinking like well i guess i could like you know start learning how to play the guitar finally you know or something like that but um um so that's all wide open because like i you know i listen to all that music too like i do listen to like you know all kinds of rock music still and and even like noise rock and i'm like you know that'd be you know awesome to try to do someday so that all that's wide open, you know, it's like, you never know. <laughs> Maybe I'll have a guitar next time. You see me play, I don't know. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Warren, thank you so much for doing this with me. Yeah, definitely. It's been great. Had a good time. Uh, where can people find you and your things once again? Uh, they can find me at W Real Rider Tick Suck Sound on Instagram. Uh, searching Warren Real Rider will bring that up. Um, and then I'm sure uh, Tick Suck would probably yeah, also search, search that, that up. <laughs> yeah, any of the Google search will bring up uh, that. Uh, there's also a link tree on Instagram with uh, the links to all those videos you may find. Um, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, uh, other projects are all linked there. Um, and some of the uh, visual art kind of crossover things I've done. I'm going to have had a few of those things too that kind of those opportunities popped up. So uh, there's definitely some documentation out there now. So Yeah, awesome. <laughs> well, once again, thank you so much. I'm Santiago Ramones. Warren, real writer. 
Uh, and then, yeah, a different piece of yours will play at the end of this as well. Yes, <laughs> yes. This is a volume warning. Turn your volume down. Noise incoming. You can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music and produce audio. The music you're hearing now is music I made. You can listen to official releases by Santiago Ramones on Spotify, Apple Music, and the other streaming places. Or you can support me directly by buying my music on Bandcamp. I'm working on Hypothetical, my first singer-songwriter album. So if you'd like to hear that at some point, there are lots of ways to support me on my website. There's a Discord server in which we discuss deep topics from the podcast, but it's also a community of beautiful human beings. All the links to all my things are on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It would mean a lot to me to hear what you have to say, and it lets others know what to expect, better than I could ever explain. I want to help the world have deeper conversations, so thank you for listening to and supporting BitDepth. I was in the podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong. <laughs>